This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. Today I'm playing an excerpt of a panel I moderated at a recent Affirm event. My guests on that panel were Sylvia Burns, the Chief Information Officer at the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, Jamie Holcomb, the CIO at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, Keith Jones, the CIO at the State Department, and Keith Bluestein, the CIO at the Small Business Administration. We start off hearing from Sylvia Burns of FDIC. We've been working on something called a rapid phase prototyping acquisition at the FDIC for probably around the last year. And it's really an innovative approach to basically kind of exploring how the FDIC could be doing some of its business differently using advanced technologies and kind of turning the tables around by going out to industry and basically asking them to propose solutions around issues we have. So for example, the FDIC regularly, every quarter, we collect data from banks called this thing called the call report, which we get basic data from the banks, which is used for many many different purposes, one of which is to help our bank examiners prepare for exams. And some of it is we were entering the pandemic last year and uncertain about what the impact was going to be on the economy. Part of the the thinking was, could we rethink how we get that data so we have more real-time, a real-time sense of what's happening in the marketplace? So basically we went through this phased approach where, you know, I think we started with over 30 vendors coming and proposing solutions for how we could do things. And it was really like taking things kind of out of the box, um, helping us to rethink how we're doing things, going from more manual approaches to completely automated and how that kind of interfaces with uh, folks who do our mission. Um, and so it's gone through three phases and we're actually, um, it's, it's kind of like thir- oh, more than 30 vendors started, got down selected to another group, a smaller group that basically got a little bit of money to put together more proposals, just like conceptual, uh, deeper conceptual proposals. And then in the third phase, they actually had to build little prototypes. And so um, those are being looked at now and we're hoping that some good things come of it. Now, I know that uh, FDIC also was one of the few agencies with a different type of CIO, a chief innovation officer. Uh, again, I know he's fairly new, but, but is this part of that effort? I know that he's Absolutely. looking externally, but, but he's also maybe some internal. Yes, we were really lucky to have Sultan Megdi join us as our first chief innovation officer of the FDIC. He's going to be leading what we call FDI Tech, and this project will actually be under him. So we got it started before he showed up. So, it, you know, my team was playing a big role with folks in the mission, but ultimately he'll be taking it over. And the way we see that relationship is like Sultan really like pushes the edge in terms of really looking at what could we be doing differently at the FDIC, challenging us. And basically the way our relationship's going to be is he, his great ideas, the ones that actually turn into things that we want to bring into the organization and scale for production use. Basically, my group will take it over and um, actually implement for the FDIC. So it's it's how you take a great idea and make it something that everybody can benefit from. All right, and, and then I want to bring in the others, but real quick, 
you mentioned phase three, build some prototypes. Can you talk about one or two that really are, are exciting? I know they all are, but is there one or two you'd, um, you would feel comfortable highlighting? I, I know that like uh, we're still kind of in a in the procurement process. No decisions have been made, but some of the interesting things that we've seen is, you know, like there's a very manual process that goes on um, to, for bank examiners um, and a big piece of work in evaluating assets is reviewing loan files. And those loan files, you know, typically they're, they're paper. We supervise like kind of small community banks and we work with the states on that. And in those smaller banks, I would say there's much less automation kind of writ large. People do things differently, just like, you know, throughout the country. And part of the thing is, can we get some sort of automation around loan files so that people are not pouring through paper, right? Or, or even like screens that have, you know, just like the loan portfolios on them and have to manually go through that. Can there not be some um, technology that can help go through that and, and assist the examiner to help identify potentially problem areas? So that's an example of, of one of the things. It's, and, and it's just impressive, actually, what industry has um, that we, we think we could leverage. All right. That's a great example. Get rid of the paper without a doubt. Speaking of paper, let's move over to uh, Jamie Holcomb from the Patent and Trademark Office. I think PGO got rid of the paper for the most part, right? It's gone. All right. You told me something I don't know. So let's move on. No, let's tell, tell us how, how, how uh, PTO is moving forward with IT modernization. Well, I'm going to keep going with that innovation concept, Sylvia, because one of the things you might not realize about PTO is we hired a new emerging technologies director from Facebook. Now he's a young man that has a lot of vision and strategy, but the biggest thing that he's trying to emphasize is the way to think differently about innovation, specifically emerging tech. And that is the reason it's called emerging tech is because it's immature. And the immaturity of something makes it by definition, not able to be used in operations and maintenance. Why would you bet the crown jewels on something that might blow up in your face. So you better have those pilots and those proof of concepts out there. And that's what R&D is all about. And so between the R&D and the operations and maintenance are those pilots. You get from here to there. The problem is the government's not very good at R&D. In fact, the first thing that's always cut is research and development, right? And so you have to think about emerging technologies and innovation as your research and development are. I mean, you should not cut it off. You should actually fund it. And But you have to fund failure. Huh? What a concept. Oh, my gosh. The government has lost its mind about sunk cost. Oh, we're going to stick with this forever. No, you have to think about throwing good money after bad. Don't do that. You starve failure and you feed success. So the fact of the matter is you have to plan to lose money. That's hard on taxpayer dollars, right? You can't do that. You can't waste our taxpayers' money. But you have to do R&D. You have to have innovation. And so one of the results of our emerging tech going from R&D to O&M, we have the new search tool for our patent examiners. And here's a neat, really cool thing. I do think that it may apply everywhere in the government because it is the coolest search algorithm you could ever imagine. 
Think about this. You are finding a needle in the haystack. And what is that? The patent examiner has to figure out what is unique and novel. And that's never been ever invented, ever thought about before or put into place until now. How in the world do you do that? That's amazing, right? But what we've provided is a new search tool to go out there and create and search on concepts rather than little word searches. When you search on a concept, you create a haystack and you can create these different haystacks and then search for the needle within the haystacks based on the relative ranking and the strength of what that concept has instead of just word searches. So there's a lot of greatness coming out in the future. And I just wanna say it's all based on the fact of taking R&D innovation and transferring it over into the O&M world based on real pros and cons, the business case that you derive from your pilots and proof of concepts. So the logical question is how many failures came before the success of that search tool and how many is maybe a relative term, but there was some good and bad that came from it. So how'd you get from here to there? There is no magic number, right? Everybody's looking for that standard operating procedure. Well, if we have three, it's too much. But if we have six, say, no, it's not that way. In fact, when you think about it, innovation in Silicon Valley and so forth, right? Every Every seven out of 10 businesses truly fail. So it's only the three that succeed that we hear about. So failure is much more common than success. And we really need to think about that with R&D. So I'll throw that number out there for you, Jason. All right, and that tool that you talked about, that search tool, is it is it in pilot, is it in production? Where is it in, in the realm of things? Rolling it out to our 9,000 examiners over the next 12 months. We have to take a break. Today I'm playing an excerpt of a panel I moderated at a recent Affirm event. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today I'm playing an excerpt of a panel I moderated at a recent Affirm event. My guests on the panel were Sylvia Burns, the CIO at the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, Jamie Holcomb, the CIO at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, Keith Jones, the CIO at the State Department, and Keith Bluestein, the CIO of the Small Business Administration. We start this segment off hearing from Keith Jones of the State Department. I think what's going on new at, at State right now is really our movement into uh, a shared responsibility multi-cloud platform. You know, this is where leveraging the right tools for the right jobs and also getting into more into that DevSecOps responsibility uh, between IRM organization and our business customers. One of the things that I uh, keep stressing to our team is that our customers are kind of like at the center of it all. Uh, we have to work side by side with them, uh, whether whether it's here in DC or whether it's out at post. And I think we've seen that engagement. Uh, one of the priorities that I've been talking about throughout uh, since I've been there since January is customer centricity. So I think between getting everyone into this cloud, multi-cloud platform where they're able to develop applications that benefit the post. Uh, I mean, this, and this is nothing new where you have an agency where you could potentially have shadow IT. And in order to conquer some of that shadow IT is give them the guardrails to operate. And that way you don't have to worry about your ATOs getting out of control, which is something else. We can go into that later. 
but certainly it provides them the flexibility to address the unique requirements because each post, each embassy, they all do something different. And they may be able to leverage portions of it, but there's certain aspects of it that they have to tailor to their own and, and having them on the shared platform. And I think even uh, yesterday, today, and also tomorrow, we have this app dev summit going on that I've been participating. So I'm moonlighting to be here. So, I mean, app dev summit, we have 700 users across all posts throughout the, throughout the world. And they're participating, understanding the direction of the department, uh, what we're doing from an IRM uh, bureau perspective, how we're helping them, where they, where they can help us as well. And having that true uh, customer engagement is so important. You bring up shadow IT, and I think that's a really important issue because I think a lot of CIOs face that. And, and I know I've talked to your colleague, Brian Merrick, several times over the last year or so about creating that common platform. That's what this, if you will, App Development Summit is really doing is, is introducing the people that aren't in your office that, that are on those posts and stations around the world. Hey, we have these guardrails. Let's, let's go all go down the same path so we don't have to worry about the things like ATOs, is that really the message that you're trying to send? Most definitely, you know, and I think there's that message is starting to come across and sink in where, you know, everyone understands that, hey, if we leverage, you know, these foundations that we've established, then they don't have to go down through these rabbit holes in order to get things done and, and hide things. Because, you know, one of the things that I've been doing is, is really focusing on what's sitting out there on the network. We're just sitting and is it authorized or, it, or if it's not? And certainly uh, in times like now, especially with all, you know, we know adversaries are out there. They will continually try and penetrate our networks. So we have to make sure that we're out there, you know, keeping a secure network. And, and I want to go to Keith, but real quick, uh, any thoughts you can share about shadow IT in terms of how pervasive it was in, in the State Department? I think it's, it's pervasive in, in the point that, you know, there's a lot of ATOs out there that need to be completed. Uh, I'll, I'll say that. And so while I think posts and users, you know, have tried to make do, I think corralling it all in and bringing them back towards a center ground is really going to help us. And, and that's one of the things that we want to really focus on. That's where some of my efforts are now um, to reduce that. And, and we want customers to communicate their needs, right? We don't want them to go and develop things on the side and no one knows about it. And, and then all of a sudden, here comes the IRM police saying, cut it off. And, and it's something that they could have gone and, and worked on the right way. So I, I think we're going down the right path. We have great communication going. I, I don't hear many complaints, which is, I mean, if anything, they're now saying, you know, really appreciate you reaching out and having these discussions. So I, right, I think we're right. trending in the right direction. Good news. And don't be the CIO no, right? What's the old, old, old no, uh, you can't, yeah. joke? It's, it's not the CIO no, it's let's see how we can work and make this happen for you. All right, Keith, you bring us home. You're, you're batting fourth, cleanup spot. A lot of people didn't even realize uh, up until the pandemic that we were actually a cabinet level agency. And then we kind of got an outside, uh, outsized role uh, as we started going through the pandemic. And uh, we pumped out more loans in 14 days than the agency had in 14 years prior to that. 
So uh, some total over the last year, we pumped out over a trillion dollars worth of capital into the economy. And the only reason we were able to do that, we have uh, a couple of different organizations that pumped out a lot of that capital. But a lot of the work that was done prior to my arrival over here with Maria Rode being the previous CIO, uh, she had basically modernized a lot of the infrastructure, the background infrastructure into the cloud that allowed some of that scalability. So those kinds of things that at the time, maybe you don't realize what is going to be required when you go down the road, but that pandemic really highlighted that, hey, we had to move fast. We had to be able to scale quickly. And a lot of that work that was done previously, maybe not with the intent that you're going to scale up to something that is uh, exponentially larger than what you've done, but uh, we'd actually gone down that path. Now, the one thing that uh, that we are working on and the thing that was highlighted through all of this is that I know it's not a sexy term and we did this many, many years ago in DOD, business process re-engineering. We found that these different organizations, part of our folks work with the banking ecosystem to sit there and pump out capital and other parts of our organization actually issue loans. So between those two different things, business processes, there's a lot of commonality, but they didn't operate commonly across our entire uh, agency in here. So that's one of the big things we're looking at right now is, okay, where are those friction points? How can we alleviate that? Ideally, free up some humans to start doing some more valuable work in other areas. Keith, one quick follow-up for you. I, I love the the idea of business process reengineering. Are you at SPA able to do that because you have that common infrastructure now? You've got the first layer done, and now we can move to the second layer, which is, okay, how do we all start down that path of, of common data, common processes and the like. The one thing, and I think Sylvia brought up a great point that, you know, we oftentimes we don't know that we're going to be in a position to need to do certain things. And this pandemic really highlighted the level of actual touch and paperwork that we had to deal with. It's like, that's really not, uh, if you look at the modern mortgage industry, most of us who've refinanced a home can do that in a matter of minutes. And we should be able to do that in, in government. So there was a kind of an imperative as we saw how much paperwork and how much touch labor we actually had going through the process. We said, look, there's an imperative to get to this point where we can really digitize a lot of this and make it a lot more efficient. We have to take a break. Today, I'm playing an excerpt of a panel I moderated at a recent Affirm event. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today, I'm playing an excerpt of a panel I moderated at a recent Affirm event. My guests on the panel were Sylvia Burns, the CIO at the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, Jamie Holcomb, the CIO at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, Keith Jones, the CIO at the State Department, and Keith Bluestein, the CIO at the Small Business Administration. We start this segment off as the panelists take audience questions. Sylvia, you got a bunch of them, so let me start with uh, the one from Liz. She asks, how are these types of strategic initiatives announced for industry to participate? I guess she's asking more about the phased approach and and is this, where does industry play in that, in that effort? Just given what the concept was, it is very specific to things that go on in the banking sector. I think there, there were probably, I, I don't know, it may have been almost, uh, I think it was maybe under 100 companies, but close to 100 that were initially identified as playing in the space that we were interested in. And so um, I remember that we had kind of, almost like an industry day where we invited them in and we talked about what we were looking for. And so, I mean, that was how the process got started. If people are interested in learning more about what I was talking about with rapid phase prototyping on fdic.gov slash fdi tech, 
there's a link there to rapid phase prototyping that tells a little bit more about what was involved there. And it, I think it has a little outline of the companies that ended up being down selected. But, but it, I think it started with kind of more focus on looking at companies that were in the space that we were looking at. Let, let me open it up for the rest of the panel. Very similar question. Sylvia mentioned innovation. Jamie mentioned innovation. There's a, always a lot of events. If they want to bring innovation to you, how do you open that door? How do you accept that innovation beyond work with our acquisition office, look at FedBizOps or whatever we call it now? And But but really, like how, how can they really kind of get that in front of your folks? It is using a white paper that's actually structured in a business case format to the use case that the agency has. If you can show me in black and white the pros and cons and how in your past performance at agency XYZ, you did this and it applies to my problem, my mission, then I look at that and I say, this is market research. I can take this requirement and put it out there on an opportunity. Hua, I hate it when everybody says, well, let me hear what your problems are. Look, I don't have any problems. I'm operating a great agency. Go away. <laughs> no problems, right, Keith? So I, I'll say pretty much the same thing just what Jamie just said. You know, it's the uh, uh, white paper. And, you know, when you send an email in and all of you figure out how to get to me, because many of you already have. So my inbox does get, you know, flooded at time. However, you know, I do look at it and I, I look to see what's being brought to the table. And some companies are including like, this is where we've done business. This is where we are in the process, which really helps. And I communicate that uh, to our team, especially uh, in, the, in the cloud area as well. And then areas around architecture and design, things like that. We're taking a look at those and I'm having our folks, hey, go, go look into this and then come back and let's have a discussion about it. And then we'll bring in a vendor and talk to them. Other Keith. I second all of those things. I mean, a lot of times we hear, you know, we're in the IT field, we're all innovators. We're all thinking about how can we leverage new technology? And there's no shortage of people that are telling us that we can uh, solve the problems. We can, you know, solve famine and all of these types of things. But the fact of the matter is, it goes back to what are my problems? If you can sit there and show me how I solve my problems, and maybe you don't necessarily have the direct solution for that, but if you can actually demonstrate that here's where I've done it before, I used to joke that I was from uh, Missouri, the show me state, show me where you've done it before, where this has actually uh, been a successful use case. I'm much more inclined to listen to that and have my folks spend some time to say, okay, is this something that can help here? All right. So let me, let me play devil's advocate on everyone and, 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 not everyone did what FDIC did, which is put out this kind of, hey, we were looking for innovations in this areas. Like, how do I find your problem? Like, it's not just there in the ether, right? And 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 they don't just exist. You do something very similar to what FDIC did, which is, hey, here's the areas we're trying to innovate through. Get, give a sense, because I think there's a little give and take on both sides. Jamie, go ahead. Last year, we put out something called the IAISS contract specifically went out over innovation you know it's like show me the emerging tech we currently have 13 companies on that that are helping so it's easy to look that up and then figure out who those companies are and say hey look what we got and you know maybe work together right because i always like when people work together it's a lot better solution that's one way the other way is to think about what the missions are right 
And that's where they want to say, well, let's talk to you about that. What are your pain points and so on and so forth? I mean, it's obvious when you put out a solicitation what the pain points are. So what you want to do is the research and be able to shape the opportunity in order to figure out, oh, we got some um, understanding more so than others. Let's get together and make sure we win this opportunity. So I encourage, I love the whole thing about vendor days when you show the capabilities of certain solutions. And I think that's what we need to have more of industry days where people get together. I know the state department's big into it. So I like that. Something I've already started is just that industry days, but certainly we're going to be communicating that. And these are the type of forums where I, I would definitely uh, bring the team into to have discussions with industry. I promote that. I think it's so important. I want to get, you know, there's some, some of our folks, they, they do the talk search, but then there's a lot in uh, certain areas where they really don't want to come out and speak, but I'm pushing the envelope there and, and challenging them. Hey, let's get out there. Let's communicate to industry. They are interested in being our partner. You know, let's not have this, this wall where no one knows what's going on or, or how they can help or how do I get this meeting with Keith Jones? How do I get this meeting with with uh, the deputy or something like that. We want to, I want to make sure that industry kind of like knows what our needs are, what our priorities are. Uh, we, put, uh, we push out our IT strategic plan uh, uh, periodically, and it's, it's actually an agile IT strategic plan where we're introducing it each year. I'd add into that that, you know, on this panel here, I think we're demonstrating that we've got some pretty incredible uh, innovative thought in the government side, but industry brings an awful lot to the table. And my experience has been that if you can sit there and, and do things like RFIs or industry days, they're very, very helpful in understanding what is the problem set that you're dealing with. The frustration we have a little bit, you know, certainly in SBA right now is the, the volume, you know, we, we're bandwidth limited, the volume of actual procurement activity to sit there and actually go through the process of getting an RFI and setting these things up. It's a little bit challenging at times, but I think that getting industry to come in and hear what your situations are and then providing potential solutions for that is helpful. And the other thing that I'll stress, and I, I've said this many times when I've had talks, is that trust is a big factor for me. If you not only show me where you've done this before, but if you've also been patient and you've been willing to uh, walk me down the path of, okay, here's how we can be a trusted partner. Those are things that really uh, hold sway in the long run for bringing in innovative ideas. All right, let's move on to some other questions. Jamie, I got one from you from, uh, I think it's Chuck, if I get the name correctly. Uh, this person asks, uh, how do you fund those quote unquote failed projects? How do you manage the budgets when there, is, when there are more than one failure? Sure, the point is you expect failure. You don't plan for it. I mean, you plan to fail because you need to figure that expectation. But if you're planning and funding failure, that doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> The point is you expect everything to come out successful. If you have seven of 10 fail, that's normal. So that's where the expectations and so forth lie. Now, how do you fund it? It's emerging tech. Do you put all your eggs in one basket? No, you have to have your O&M. You have to have your development. Then you have to have a portion of your budget. I don't care what you call it. Call it R&D, call it emerging tech, call it whatever. But if you don't identify that in your annual plan and then execute it, you'll never get ahead. You'll always be behind. Now, you could start out, and I've seen agencies do this one too. 
I depend upon industry to be my R&D. And therefore, you're going to contract for that R&D, that pilot to come across. Then it has a lot to do with your procurement team and how you evaluate those pros and cons and how they fit into the agency. And that's a very viable way to do it, that you don't have to spend a lot, that you're expecting industry in the commercial world to show you what's light, uh, what's correct, what's right. One of the things I've always said is the government can't afford to be bleeding edge. I, I can't have a bloody nose, but I can be leading edge. You take away the B, okay? That's what I think. Sylvia, you were shaking your head. You're just going to weigh in a little bit about this idea of, of failures is not the best word, but we'll use it for now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think everybody starts with hopefully a great idea about something that we want to do that helps the business. And what we're trying to do is get optimize the success of whatever's going to happen, right? The effort, the project. But it's a thing of you know, we're, we're trying to um, push, Jamie knows this, in my organization, we're trying to do what his organization has successfully done, which is implement agile DevSecOps. And with that, I mean, Jamie was talking about, it's like you, if, if you're going to fail, fail fast so that you can learn from whatever you did and improve and pick yourself up and keep going. So um, some of the things like that we're, I mean, basically what we're moving to is this idea that you know, when, when you have a proposal for, for doing something new, come before a little group, and this is something that we're still forming, so it's, it's not a done deal yet, but come before a group and make a pitch. Make a pitch about what you're going to deliver and like what's going to be what we call the MVP, the minimum viable product, and how much do you need to get that going? And we'll give you just a, a little slice of funding so that you can get, you can prove to us through showing us you can deliver business value through that MVP. And we will kind of go through a different kind of governance process to check on your success, check where things are going wrong, you know, maybe things are going right, going wrong, and basically, you know, incrementally fund. So, so it's not like let's fund everything all at once. Like, let me give you a hundred million dollars to, and 10 years to do this gigantic thing, which is like bad idea, but more, more realistically come to me and pitch me an idea of something that's going to be meaningful for the organization and what little slice of money you need to prove to me that this is a good idea. And, and let's start that way. And then let's check in with you and see how you're doing. And if you're doing great, then maybe you're going to ask me for another slice of funding and we'll give it to you because you're showing value. But if you're not doing great, and this is proving to be a bad idea, well, we can kill the project right there and then. So that's what I was thinking when Jamie was talking. From our friend, Steve Cooper, he asked a, a question about TMF and any plans to, to apply for the TMF. He's asking the entire panel, give some thoughts about the TMF. Is it more appetizing because the payback models changed a little bit because there's other options for the payback model. Keith from SBA or Keith from State, either of you want to jump in here and, and, and talk a little bit about your thoughts around the TMF, the billion dollars and the excitement over the, the changes? Even going back to discussions we had with Tony Scott some time ago about the, you know, the payback model in there, I think it was still a, a very good thought process of, okay, let's get some savings and roll that back in. 
uh, we've been looking at this uh, extensively since we heard that this was going to be coming out. And one of the things that we tried to do, in fact, we had a conversation with Claire at one point uh, talking about, you know, what are those kinds of things that all agencies could benefit from? And we had a situation last year where, uh, unfortunately, uh, one of the vendors uh, bored through a, uh, a fiber junction into the western part of uh, the D.C. area, and it took us down for about a day and a half. And at that point, it's like, holy cow, you know, all the major providers were out and uh, said, we cannot have this kind of construct. So at that point in time, we really started getting engaged with a lot of organizations that provide this digital real estate, if you will. So saying, look, if we can provide ourselves the uh, lower layers of the the tech stack there where they're resilient across the entire United States, that's always backed up and just lay the applications on top of that. That's something that now gives you resilience and, and gives us that kind of uh, capability in the event that there's a local outage. And that's something that kind of construct that I think is beneficial probably for a lot of agencies. In fact, I know when I was at NASA, we were looking at that technology over there. So I think that some of these things are, are, are things where they're gonna be expensive. We are probably gonna try to pursue that regardless of the TMF. It's always better if we could get some infusion of funds uh, elsewhere, but that's one of the things that we're primarily focused on right now. At state, so so you know, TMF. I think the new model is uh, very attractive. Uh, certainly, there's lots of things that uh, we can uh, think about where we can leverage the TMF. Uh, one of the biggest priorities, of course, is going to be around cyber uh, and and looking at various projects uh, that we have prioritized uh, at the enterprise level is going to be kind of like my first priority. And, and I think I, what I do like about uh, the way the TMF is shaped out is that both the uh, CFO and the CIO has to sign off on any project being put forth, whereas, you know, a bureau or no one can go around anyone in the department where everyone's going to know about it because I'm going to provide full transparency as well as to what uh, programs and projects we may have uh, uh, submitting TMF requests. But at least we can, we can, we as a uh, department can look at it, prioritize it, and see where it really fits. Uh, but certainly, the, the model, uh, the payback model, is extremely attractive, especially um, when you're you can't afford. I mean, you, you look at certain areas within the department, and funds were actually you know cut because of fees were down. Uh, this, that, and the other. So it, I think it's to our advantage to to really leverage this new payback model. Uh, look, look and make sure we have the right projects that we're going after. We're not going after the wrong thing, but the right projects. And we have not only that, we have the schedules, we have the plans, we have the, we have everything all set in stone. And I, because what I don't want to do is react to something. I don't want to say, oh, here's here's the funding, and now go start planning. No we have to plan now in, in the event that we do receive the funding so that we can then execute. We have to take a break. Today I'm playing an excerpt of a panel I moderated at a recent Affirm event. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today I'm playing an excerpt of a panel I moderated at a recent Affirm event. My guests on the panel were Sylvia Burns, the CIO at the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, Jamie Holcomb, the CIO at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, Keith Jones, the CIO at the State Department, and Keith Bluestein, the CIO at the Small Business Administration. For this fourth and final segment, the panelists continue to take audience questions. 
Interesting one from from uh, Liz. She asks across all agencies or across the panel, what emerging technologies are you looking at? What's exciting AI, multi-cloud, high-performance computing? You know, we talked about business process re-engineering earlier, but part and parcel of all that is when we really ramped up to sit there and start pumping out all this capital uh, across the nation here, we ended up bringing in a ton of people. Just from an HR standpoint, it was incredible the amount of people that we brought in to assist with that. And one of the things that has become obvious over time is that, look, a lot of this stuff can be automated. How do we sit there and transition from low value uh, work that people are doing to high value work so that when we're paying those uh, those individuals are doing something that, that can't be automated. So in what we've done is a lot of work to determine that, hey, there's a lot of automation opportunities in here. So that means AI and RPA. So we're, we're taking a look at those two things right now. We've got some pilots going on and it, the appetite for that has been through the roof. So uh, the, part of this will be uh, unfortunately probably a victim of our own success in there and that they will want much more than the rate with which we can deliver. And Keith, roughly how many pilots are ongoing? The ones that I know of, we have seven. And I, I'm sure that there are many more than that. We're trying to get our arms around just making sure that it doesn't it doesn't go crazy. Others jumping on the on the technology question? At State, think about a hundred a pivot to 110,000 users uh, teleworking, right? Within three weeks. Uh, a department that really, you know, didn't telework at all. And, and so that has just unveiled uh, such a huge uh, opportunity of uh, business process re-engineering uh, around whether it's HR, whether it's financials, whether it's uh, business apps, this, that, and the other. I mean, so much opportunity. One of the things that uh, we're looking at right now is in repatriation, right? Being able to truly automate and digitize those signatures when we re repatriate individuals coming back in, uh, back in country. Because what tends to happen is weather conditions are so unpredictable that you just, you don't know and, and papers are sometimes lost for, for days or they get wet, this, that, and the other, and we have no record. And so therefore there's no revenue coming back in uh, because of that, or at least immediate or even in the near future. So that's one of the efforts. And then on the zero trust, for us, it's getting to at least a strategy. And I challenged our new enterprise sizzle and working with others across the organization to come back with a zero trust strategy and also reach out to others and reach out to industry and see what tends to be working and don't get caught up in buying tools. That's not going to cut it, right? Let's make sure we're truly connecting the dots in that effort. And then I, I think, lastly, I think the ATO process really, and I understand there's a, there may be a, a department out there looking at this already, but leveraging AI in the ATO process, where we're able to do it in the end and, and really take this manual burden off and, and really make serious headway in, in getting ahead of that. From Ryan, he asks, speaking of cloud and specifically reigning in cloud costs, is anyone looking at serverless architectures and is that on anyone's radar? We'll chime in there and that we've done that with the SBA.gov website. We actually have several capabilities on there that are actually uh, founded on serverless uh, technology. 
the challenge in there, I think, for a, a lot of, uh, certainly for us, was making sure that we had that expertise to actually be able to provision and sustain that. So that's a great technology. Looking forward to the future. But I do want to sit there and kind of highlight that that's something that was driven by the needs of the organization. They wanted better responsiveness when it came to the website being out there. And really any of the things that we've been talking about has been driven by the mission and business areas within SBA saying, look, we need this. We need to be this much more responsive and we want to be a high value provider. So serverless uh, uh, technology is just one of those elements that have uh, gone that way. Okay. Uh, another good question comes from Connor. He asks, how have other CXOs changed their roles, their interest in IT and IT procurements since the pandemic forced the remote work? Have you had a different conversation with the CFO, HR, uh, acquisition folks over the last 14, 15 months? Sylvia? I don't know that we've like so much changed the conversation with the CFO, but I would just say across the whole organization, the... Um, kind of the realization that IT is really fundamental to the proper functioning of the mission, I, I, that recognition has just been pervasive. So I think the consciousness of IT in all aspects of people's work, it's just there. So um, even though I would say like, um, there's this conversation we have in the FDIC, my organization, the CIO's, CIO's organization, we're not like the line mission. We're not, we don't do bank exams. We don't resolve or receive banks or any of that stuff, but we're still considered actually core to the mission. So we may not be like one of the, the primary mission organizations, but we're seen as something that is absolutely essential for the mission to actually happen. So um, I would just say that, that that was more the change, just a general consciousness in the organization. What I've noticed is that you have a lot more individuals reaching out with and they're also very appreciative of the job that you know it does right and you know behind the scenes they they used to say you know well don't give it to it you know but now it's let's make sure we we reach out and see what they're thinking and see who how we can be assisted and that recognition has been obvious for me it's something that i'm uh, very keen to uh, to be aware of where the various pain points are throughout the organization. One of the first things I did when I got there is, re is reach out to those bureaus, even though you know the permanent assistant secretaries weren't there, but reaching out to them and, and having discussions, understanding what their priorities were. And you know, it, it was their opportunity to say, you know, we don't like this or you know, we're not getting this type of service, but it was it was the extreme opposite you know, where, where they were more appreciative and saying that, you know, we look forward to continuing the partnership and, and there's great things going on uh, with the team and, and let's keep it moving. So I think there's a greater appreciation for it. That's all the time we have for today. For the show, I played an excerpt of a panel I moderated at a recent Affirm event. My guests on that panel were Sylvia Burns, the CIO at the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, Jamie Holcomb, the CIO at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, Keith Jones, the CIO at the State Department, and Keith Bluestein, the CIO at SBA. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.